we just don't t- tell them no because I can't replace these customers. I can get new more bikes, but I can't replace the customers. So that's probably one of the the main things I really tried to to get get you know instilled into my people is is just don't say no to them if you got if there's something that's maybe way out of line hey let me let me find out for you and then come ask we're going to do our best to get new thinking out there there's going to be discussions centered around growth and new thinking that's where those great ideas come from exploring them together nuggets that you can go back and put into your dealership that'll help you make more money this is garage cast Welcome to Garage Cast episode 73. So there I was, dude. Interesting story here. So there I was. Whenever it starts off with there I was. There like, I was. On the hold edge my, my beer. Yeah. yeah. You know, you where we host our podcast place called Buzzsprout. It's it's pretty cool what this tool can do. Uh it shows us not only statistics of kind of episodes most popular uh, least popular, blah, 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 since the inception that we've started doing this. But another cool factor that it does is it can tell me exactly where uh, people are listening. So crazy thing is, is we have, you know, obviously we're a North American show. So I would say 95% of people listening out there are from North America, right? Then sure. there's there's some people in, in Europe. There's some people in Australia here's one that I don't even think you know is we have like three listeners in Africa that, that I want to figure out exactly (laughs) dial that down, but we have people in Africa listening to us. Well, then we have a pretty decent little contingent in Asia that listens to us. And, uh, I didn't have to dig far because I, I kind of figured out exactly who it was. And it was our our guest today is a guy by the name of David Archibald. And uh, David has a really cool story, but David obviously is now in, in Asia. He's in Vietnam, but we, we've uh, we've talked and kept in touch via email and and LinkedIn and so on and so forth. Pretty progressive dude. He's he's been, tried to do quite a bit of things over there in Asia. But yeah, man, we have we have David Archibald coming to us from Vietnam. David, hey are you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. Hey, man. I, thanks for joining us. We're excited about this. Yeah, I'm I'm excited too. You know, not every day you get to be on the most important power sports industry podcast. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm very always looking for some new knowledge and I searched everywhere and, you know, I'm really happy that uh, I'm able to listen to you guys and the caliber of guests you bring on are pretty special. It's pretty awesome. Well, that's awesome. We appreciate you uh, being one of those guests. What time is it there, David? It is a little bit after 8 p.m., 8 p.m. Okay, 7 a.m. our time. Seven, so. yeah, 7 a.m. time, and checks in the mail for that uh, promo that you just did for us. Okay, really yeah, no pre- problem, really no pre- problem. Yeah, appreciate that. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from the future. You know, I'm only 11 <laughs> hours ahead of you guys. So, <laughs> should I buy Bitcoin? <laughs> Tell me if I should buy Bitcoin. 11 hours. <laughs> yeah. <ahead. laughs> so, David, uh, your 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 title right now is you're the general manager of the All Nabuda Group. Uh, your Vietnam dealer principal. We're, we're going to go deep into kind of what you do in your history, but l- let's just get right to it, 
buddy and talk about how does a guy from the US uproot a successful business because you were you were super successful in many different realms up there in Washington and you transplanted yourself to Vietnam. So I, I would love to hear your story from the beginning to where we find you right now. Okay. Well, I'll uh, give you a little bit of history on myself. Uh, I started working in my uh, first car dealership. I started working in when I was 16. And a, a man named Michael Shoemate, he uh, let me wash cars and and he saw something in me. And so for the next 24 years, I worked for Michael Shoemate in all aspects in uh, dealership. So he, he put me in, you know, service department and I wrote service and then used used car manager and, you know, car sales, F&I. So I spent a lot of years, you know, in the trenches in all those type of roles. And his friend owned the Harley dealer in town. And his friend was, his name was Rich Worth and uh, rest in peace. Rich died in an airplane crash later on, but he wanted to retire. And so he decided I'm going to take two months vacation and see if I really want to be out of this business. And uh, Mike Shoemate said, okay, I'm going to send you over my kid and he can run your place for a couple months. So that was in 1999. So I get in not knowing much about motorcycles. I obviously grew up in a time frame where some cool kids had motorcycles, but uh, my mom wouldn't let me have a motorcycle. So anyways, um, so I get in there and I have all my car experience, but I don't have much motorcycle experience. And so I just started doing what I knew best, which was, you know, start following a process. So we're going to meet and greet people. We're going to offer them test rides and so on and so forth. So after that, uh, I never left the motorcycle side. So I, I spent uh, the next 11 years in the motorcycle industry and we went, we took over this Harley store and he decided to sell it. And, and uh, they had Sea-Doo and Ski-Doo and Kawasaki there. And so we split them up and made an import store and a uh, Harley store. And within, you know, a few years, we got the thing cranking and, and in the height of it all in 2007, you know, we took it, from, we took it from selling 200 units a year to 2,800 units a year. And, uh, but the great recession got him. So the guy I worked for Mike, uh, he had equity in all his properties, everything, but ran out of cash in 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 that time frame in 08 when you could not even get a loan, even if you had equity. So after that, I went to work for my dad and my brother, who have a very successful uh, used car business in uh, Washington State. And my brother Danny and my dad John, he they uh, let me come on board. And uh, let me basically regroup. And so I did some uh, work there and coached soccer and did a lot of things that uh, I never took the time to do when you're in the middle of the in the battle like we are every month, month to month. And so um, I do that for six or seven years. And uh, I actually started to date a girl that was Vietnamese. And she... Um, 
lived a little bit of ways from me and I'd travel to see her every weekend for a while. And then uh, we started getting serious and then she got cancer. Mm. And um, so when we found out she got, she had lung cancer, which is something that happens uh, as a genetic mutation to Asian women in their forties. So it's kind of, it's a weird thing. And unfortunately I know a lot about lung cancer now, but anyways, uh, most people get from asbestos or lifestyle, you know, smoking or whatever, but small percentage get it from a genetic mutation. And that genetic mutation happens a lot in uh, Asian women. And they think it goes back like, you know, six to 10 generations where they would cook indoors a lot. And so they'd breathe in smoke all the time and that would uh, cause uh, a genetic mutation. So anyways, uh, I quit my job. I went uh, to, and basically took care of her for nine months and then she passed away. And, um, before she died, she says, Hey, I want to go back to Vietnam. Cause she hadn't been here since she was two. So, you know, it was one of she, she came over when the fall of Saigon happened, her dad was in the South Vietnam air force and got him on a ship and they left, you know, the day, the day Saigon fell. So I kept my ticket and uh, I thought, okay, well, I'll just go to Vietnam for a couple weeks. And after, you know, this is about three or four months after she died. And uh, I thought, you know, I'll go, you know, just go check it out. So I got here and, you know, I was blown away. You know, I've been to Europe and I've been to some other places, but never anything in Asia. And, uh, I mean, it was an eye opener. Wow. I'm like my, you know, the traffic's crazy and you know, the, it's, it's really pretty cool. So I'm here for a couple of weeks and I travel around and then I fly back and I'm like, okay, time to get a job. And so I started looking around and I could be the GM of this Chevy store. And I thought, ah, I don't really want to do that. And, and so I thought, you know, it'd be cool as if I maybe found a job in Vietnam and, you know, I have no debt, no bills, no anything. Let me, let me, you know, I, I can do whatever I want. So I emailed the Mercedes Benz dealer and I emailed the Harley dealer and 10 minutes before I emailed the Harley dealer, the sales manager resigned. Oh, (laughs) serendipity. So, so I get the call back and they said, yeah, we're interested in you. And I thought, okay, well, I haven't been a sales manager for like 14 years or something at that point. You know, I've been a long time. I've been either an operator, you know, a general manager or whatnot. So I go ahead and uh, I thought to myself, okay, I'll do it for one year. Whether I hate it or I like it or, or I'll do it for one year. And I agreed to come here for a grand a month. Wow. Wow. So that's what the going rate was for a sales manager. And uh, believe it or not, that's actually, you can live on that. But it was a grand a month, you know, guaranteed. But, you know, I I could make a couple grand a month. And I thought, okay, I'll do it, whatever. So I get here and, uh, you know, I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, this is going to be a little interesting. Uh, Taxes are 100%. So... CVO is a hundred grand. I'm thinking, okay. Ooh. 
how am I going to sell CVOs for a hundred thousand dollars? You know? So I get here and, um, uh, the guy that was running this place before me, Lawson Dixon, him and a guy named Igmar's Vaults, they started, they got, and the investor is who I work for, which is uh, a family in Dubai, uh, Mr. Mohammed Al-Nabuda and Mr. Swiden Al-Nabuda, uh, they, they own a huge construction company and they have a lot of other, other uh, uh agriculture and things like that. So they're very diverse in Dubai. And so uh, the guys here, they got them to invest in the straight to bring Harley Davidson officially to Vietnam. And uh, uh, so I came on board and I'm here for about six months or so, and I'm doing everything I can to sell motorcycles. And I mean, it, it's not easy. This, this country, uh, most of the people make less than two grand a year. Okay. I mean, when I say most, it's like probably 90% of the people make less than a couple grand a year. But the people that are rich are super rich. So it, it, it's a little bit strange that, you know, there's some guy that can barely, you know, save up enough money in two or three years to buy a scooter. And then there's guys with Lamborghinis that are three times the price of a normal price of a Lamborghini because of the taxes. So the guy I work for, Lawson, he, he says, hey, David, I'm moving back to Australia. I'm going to give uh, the um, guys in Dubai, tell them that, you know, that uh, the company's safe with you, and uh, that's that's what happened. So he moved on, and and I took over. And at that time, we had two Harley dealerships. We were about to open our third Harley dealership, and now I have uh, about to break ground on the fifth Harley dealer. And I picked up Triumph Motorcycles, and I have a couple Triumph dealerships: one in Hanoi and one in Saigon. And I just uh, about to finish the third one, which will be my second store in Saigon. And uh, I guess I can announce it now, but I also uh, got awarded KTM and Husqvarna. Those projects are started this week. So I got a lot, a lot of stuff going on. And uh, boy, I've talked for a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, well, let's, let's unpack there? some of that. Yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm here, man. I'm, I'm, this is good stuff. So anyways, um, this month in May, I had the best Triumph month I ever had at my Saigon store and, and they sold 65 Triumphs last month. So, uh, so, uh, the Triumph business is pretty good for us. The taxes on those bikes is about 60%. So if you take your average Triumph in a USA times it by 60, that's my selling price roughly. So, so, so let's, let's take apart some of that. Cause you said a hundred percent, hundred percent tax. I'm like, Whoa, hold on a minute. So, you know, if a CVO is going for a hundred grand, you're telling me I'm 200 grand on a CVO there. No, no, no. So, so, it 50, so 50, you know, they're, they're, they're about retail 50 grand in, okay. you know, for an ultra uh, CVO limit or uh, yeah, CVO ultra. And so I pay, uh, 40% import duty and um, about God. another 60% in other taxes. 
So it's about a hundred percent taxes for that bike. And is it the same on Triumph or is that down to sixty like you just mentioned? So so a CVO comes from USA, it's a hundred percent tax. The bikes that are made in Thailand, that's the sixty percent range. So they don't have the import duty because they're in the Asian uh trade agreement. That's when you know, when Trump was all flipping out on Harley because they're gonna build bikes in Thailand and you know, that was that was all that. Tony, I just heard a whole bunch of our dealers breathe a big sigh of relief and think, uh, I guess my distribution problem isn't really a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there, there's, there is uh, a lot of things moving to, to get something sold here. In fact, uh, to discount, we have to ask the government permission. They've never say no, but you still have to register this promotion. And so it's, it's quite the, takes about 11 days to get that done. That's, that would really cut the, that would cut the (laughs) discounting in a dealership is, I don't know, not only do I have to go check with my sales manager, I have to actually go check with the federal government to see if I can do that. You come back in 11 days. Now (laughs) that is, now that's a, that's a boon. Yeah. And, and you're, you're. Five Harley stores, and I'm 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 assuming the ones are going to open that you're going to open, right? We got five, three on the Triumph side, and two KTM Husky. I get yes. that right. Yes, so yes. You, you got ten stores that you're running these these well issues. Plus, yeah. Plus, I have uh, three coffee shops that are full blown <laughs> coffee shops inside my main stores, and uh, I tell you that is that's worked really well for me. It's it's allowed us to slow the sales process down. And it gives us a time to let the customer consider buying the bike here at the dealership rather than just, here's my business card, see you later. And the guy drives down the street to look at something else. And, and are you out? Is that a separate company or is that part of and it's staffed part of by us. the it's dealership? Part of, I run them as separate business units, but there it's all the same company. So my Harley dealers have 1903 Cafe. And uh, my uh, the Triumph dealership has Modern Classic Cafe. I'm just sitting here trying to process all this when you're in Kennewick, Washington. And by the way, for those listening, I know some people are like, well, you're interviewing a motorcycle guy. And so I don't know how much is pertinent to the boat dealer or a boat dealer and vice versa. And I'm sitting here. Let, give me, uh, appease me one second as I rattle this list off of when you were with Michael Shoemate. Um as far as brands go, Toyota, Harley Davidson, Honda, Honda motorcycles, Pontiac, Cadillac, Mazda, Mitsubishi, Suzuki, Suzuki motorcycles, Ford, Dodge, Jeep, Chrysler, Aprilia, Vespa, Kawasaki, Can-Am, Sea-Doo, Ski-Doo, BRP, Supra, and Moomba boats, the Correct Craft, and Yamaha boats. Yes. I'm pretty sure, Tony, we touched everybody there, yeah? Almost. And now I, I, I'm finishing it off now that I have KTM and Husqvarna here. So, <laughs> And coffee. So, yeah, you And everything. All right. And taxes too. Yeah. So look, you, you went to Vietnam, and I, 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 from what I gather, you kind of fell in love with the country. So, what do you love the most about Vietnam? Uh, my wife, I guess. I have a That's really a awesome wife that uh, we're about to have uh, a baby in a couple months. So my life's going to change and I'm going to be 25 again. So good for uh, you. But uh, for, for that, that's probably my favorite thing. And, and uh, but really, it's the people here. The people are very, very kind. And, um, you know, the American dream here is so much more than it is in USA. 
You know, these people, you know, it kills me. And, and I pretty, I got off Facebook a while back, but the post, you know, the lady's upset because somebody parked sideways in the parking lot and took up two spots in her Escalade. So she had to walk, you know, 10 more feet, you know, she throws a fit. And I'm thinking, you know, your problems, there's 97 million people in this country who would trade for your problems. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, you just, you get a really taste of, of, you know, how entitled the, you know, the average American is. And, and when you come here and, and you see that, you know, these, these people doing anything they can to make money, you know, in the whole time I've been lived in Vietnam six years, maybe I've seen 10 people beg for money. When I went to the dealer show in San Diego for Harley, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I had 10 people ask me for money before I even got from the <laughs> airport to the hotel. You know, it's just, it, you know, they 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 work really hard and, and uh, uh, you know, these people are really happy, actually. You know, uh, Vietnam's one of the most happiest countries in the world and, and uh, uh, you know, it's part of their culture, but that's probably one of the most, the best things I like about it here. Yeah, you know, uh, my wife and I went to, to uh, Thailand for our honeymoon and it was the one thing that I say about that experience was just the people and how nice those human beings are and happy. And, uh, it's, it's a whole different mindset, which is super cool to experience. So no doubt, um, no doubt, you know, you talked about the all in the Buddha group. Um, obviously we understand how you got hooked up, but it was super quick. Like, you know, you, you just, it was serendipitous that they lost the sales manager and you put in an application, but how did you, uh, win their trust over to be the you know the tip of the spear of their entire operation yeah, yeah. there you know I, I i when i first got told that you know the guy i was working for was leaving they flew me to dubai and so i sat down with that at, who my boss at the time uh, he still is his name is ajit kumar and i sit down with ajit and and his his office is in the car dealership and you know i felt like i was at home you know i get in that car dealership feeling like oh okay this is this is all right and so i went and explained to them my background and what i've done and you know i think at first they're like okay well we don't have anybody else let's take a let's take a run at it and uh i took over in 2000 and six into 2016 2017 and uh you know we sold like 260 bikes that year mm -hmm. and uh it took me about a year to start to really get the sales process in play with 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 staff and them to really see what's possible and um you know, we moved that to seven or eight hundred in 2018, and I picked up Triumph, and you know, then we're at like fifteen hundred now. And in last year, we did about sixteen hundred units. So you know, I just keep proving myself over and over again, and I'm so lucky they they completely trust me, uh, and uh, they're they're actually really nice nice family to work for. It's a very large company, but it's still just a family business and it's, it's pretty great. It's funny. We have so many family dealerships that are run out there and I can see that pattern being the same in the U.S. But that being said, you, you, you painted such a stark contrast between Vietnam and the U.S. And 
I would agree with you. The, the people who come on our podcast, Robert KB and one of them, Tony, just a few weeks ago, we talk about how people in America have no problems if you're a world traveler, if you really understand the globe. Um, but what do you miss about the U.S.? I'm sure you <laughs> went there and there are some creature comforts. <laughs> well, there, there's a lot of things I miss. You know, <clears throat> I'm in the concrete jungle here in Saigon uh, is where I'm based out of. And uh, real estate is super expensive here. I'm, I mean, not not just kind of expen- expensive. It's su- super expensive. And so um, uh, I miss having a yard. I miss being able to cut my own grass. Uh, I miss uh, an apple fritter every once in a while, probably, you know, I, I, you know, not too much. I miss my mom and dad and, you know, my, my older kids in USA, I miss them too. But, uh, you know, uh, being able to just step out in your own backyard you know, I mean, that's it, it. It it seems like something that you know, you know, USA. You know, literally almost everybody has that ability. But here, uh, there's only about uh, one thousand. Uh, they call them villas that are regular houses, and the, the largest yard I've ever seen would probably be um, big enough to put two cars on it. So having your own grass and backyard that's something i probably i miss the most i guess yeah i mean and and when you come back next time to visit uh i'll have you come to my hometown and you can cut my grass okay no no problem problem. since since you miss it so much we'll uh (laughs) you just have at it (laughs) so uh really quick let's get into the business side of things okay um i want to talk about is there a major difference? Obviously, you know, you're probably at this point in your career based off of all the things you've sold and all the different, uh, you know, industries that you worked in from auto to marine, that kind of thing. Is there a major difference in customers in North America and Asia? I mean, obviously you touched on the, the concept of, you know, discounting has to be approved by the government, but like, what's the major difference? Well, when I first got here, I thought, okay, these guys you know, the, the average man's in charge at his house is what I'm thinking. Okay. I'm thinking that, that, uh, you know, in USA guys got to ask his wife if he can buy something, you know, and, and, and it can't be like that. So I get here and I'm just thinking it's going to be different. And the more I'm, I was desking deals and working, trying, working with my sales guys, trying to make a deal. It still kept coming back to, He's got to ask the wife and the wife's got to give the, get, you know, go ahead. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. So what I tell people is, is actually you really tell human beings are the same. You know, there's a little bit of culture that rubs off on the surface, but when it comes down to it, it's still human, it, all human re- reaction. You know, when we were in car business, I, I used to just study everything I could about body language and read body language. And, and you could see by even how someone's legs were when they're sitting in a chair, if their legs are out, whether you could go for a bump and ask for more or if their legs were tucked under. And I would look at these things and it's all the same. It's all the same. So for here, I have a couple weird things like uh, they have, they really like numbers. There has to be lucky numbers or unlucky numbers sometimes in a VIN number. I had a guy one time that, cool. 
that actually, you know, we, I, I've had the, I've had to call Harley and say, Hey, do you have any breakouts that do not have a number five in it? Is there anything, <laughs> you know, and then crazy. I, one of the craziest ones is we sold a new V rod and here, when you go to get your, your license plate, they go to the place that is, and they literally hit, have a wheel. They like a, like a, a, lucky you know you hit the hit the button and it's like a, a slot machine and it pulls up your number and uh this guy got an unlucky number somehow this combination when you added all the numbers up it didn't came out to something unlucky and he wouldn't ride the bike he came back the guy lost about seven eight thousand dollars on this v-rod because it had a unlucky number plate and you can't change your plate number <laughs> Once it's on there, it's on there. So things like that, it blows your mind away. But, but uh, you know, the other thing is, is they really want to prove that they, they can buy something new and, and they want to, they want to be cool. Right. So, so we, we had a guy buy a bike. He didn't tell his wife. He took it home. His wife was upset. It was a fat boy. And uh, so they brought it back. said, don't worry. We'll consign it for you and we'll sell it. Okay. So the bike was about two grand less than a brand new one. And it had 100 kilometers on it. So 40, 50 miles. I sold maybe seven new bikes around that one used bike. They just didn't want it because it was used. But in the USA, I would have sold that used bike seven times before I sold a new one. So, you know, that that kind of thing. That's awesome. Uh, well, I would agree with you on body language and the humans are humans no matter where you go. But some of those, I don't know that we have the uh, spin the wheel for your favorite VIN number mentality over here. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious, man, that they, they're they like, you had to go search for a VIN number that didn't have a five in it. That's yeah, just, yeah. It's, it's culture is a... Culture is a super awesome thing. I think it was a four, actually. I think four. It was a four I couldn't have. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a little bit strange like that. And these guys will pay, you know, money to the government to get the number they want. And and one guy that bought a CVO, they they came back and they told me, "Look, boss, look at his number plate." I look and it's you know seven eight three four or something. You know, I'm like, okay, yeah, well, that's cool. He paid twenty thousand dollars for that. I'm like, oh what? God. What do you mean he now paid twenty thousand dollars for that? He now said, that's yeah. a vanity plate. <laughs> yeah, crazy. That's, that's fantastic. Well, so that's that has to do with the uh, the people. Let's talk about the units in Asia versus in here in the U.S. You okay. mentioned. You mentioned V-Rod, Breakout, Fat Boy. I didn't hear anything about Ultra or Sportsters or whatever. You're also picking up Triumph and KTM Husky, which I got to say, just from my perception of Vietnam, KTM Husky would be the thing to have to zip around. But, you know, I'm making that up just from what I see on the Internet and TV. But talk to us about demand for certain types of motorcycles, uh, sport touring, adventure bikes, dirt bikes. What's the niche? When I first works? got here, yeah, when I first got here, uh, it was about 70% Sportster. You know, because the, the cool thing about Vietnam is it's a two-wheel culture. Everybody's riding two wheels at some point. Every man, woman, child. So as they they aspire to have something cool or bigger and, and you don't have to sell the, hey, you can get on a two-wheeler and have, you know, fun and don't worry about things. They already know that, right? So it's just a matter of obtaining it. So... When I first got here, we were like 70% in Sportster and Street Harleys. And over time, 
over the last six years, I've seen it go from from uh, 70% Sportster to about 30% Sportster. And now those same guys went from Sportsters to Softtails, and now they're working in the Tourings. And that's one of the great things that Harley has is they have a progression built into their, their uh, lineup. And so we, we, we've taken, you know, the guy, we do a lot of trips and, uh, uh, events that, you know, get people riding. And so, uh, you, you know, we'll do a, a two or three day ride to the uh, mountains from out of Saigon and we come back and peer pressure, of course, one of the best sales per- people in your, in your, any industry, the peer pressure gets them. And the guy has a, has a sports and he's like, Oh, I really should have a soft tail. So then we, we move them right up the progression. And so one customer, we sell two or three bikes to on the triumph side, it's more of a one and done. They don't have that really good progression in there. Some do a little bit now with the new rocket, but uh, in general, it, it, it's pretty much a one and done. So that that's that's one thing that's great about the Harley. And and one of the things that my the percentage of customers I have versus the population is extremely low. Okay, I mean I have you know not even one percent of this population is my potential customer. Right. So when I got here, I wanted to really put inside my culture of the dealerships is, is we just don't say no to these guys. We don't say no to customers. So the guy comes in and he's got a problem with his bike. We just fix it. I don't care if it costs me some money, you know, just goodwill it. If Harley won't take care of it or Triumph won't take care of it. And, you know, we just don't tell them no. Because I can't replace these customers. I can get new more bikes, but I can't replace the customers. So that's probably one of the the main things I really tried to to get get you know instilled into my people is is just don't say no to them. If you got if there's something that's maybe way out of line, hey, let me let me find out for you and then come ask. And and where does uh, I agree with you on that philosophy? Where does KTM and Husky fit in? Is that a selfish? You love the brands, or do you think that is the brand? Has? No, I just you know I'm here because it's a challenge. You know, I mean, I'm really, I'm really, I want to win all the time. I want to win at everything I can, and you know, I tried to you know like. You know, I heard before, hey, don't focus on your competition, focus on your customers, you know. And so I try to focus on my customers, but I also want to crush my competition. And so three, four years ago, KTM came and and, and visited me and said, hey, you know, we really want you to take over. And uh, And at that time, I was just starting Triumph. And I thought, ah, you know, I really, I really don't have the manpower just to click this on. And, and, and so few years went by and then now I've, I've reached the point. So, okay, I'm ready to, ready to do it. So um, a guy named Luca Martin called me up and I finally said, okay, let's do it. And so uh, they were primarily talking KTM only, but I wanted Husqvarna also because it, it, it's a, you know, it, it's a brand that Vietnamese people can go, okay, that's cool. It's got a long heritage, you know, it comes from Europe and, uh, 
and so they make some really cool, you know, the the smaller bikes, and that's primarily what I'll sell is you know the 390 Dukes, the 401 Husqvarna's, and uh, uh, a little bit of enduro. Technically, dirt bikes are illegal here, so you know I'm trying to fix that. I'm trying to get the government to let me start to, to import dirt bikes. So let, let, let me stop you there, really quick. Mm. Uh, what's what's the premise behind that? Why are they yeah, because there? because they'll ride them on the street. You know, huh. there's you know that there there'll be guys ripping ripping dirt bikes up and down the road. I still can't uh, yeah. import a trike, actually uh, Harley uh, uh, trike, because it's illegal here. So for whatever reason, they don't want me to have three wheelers here. So unlucky number three versus could two. Be. It could be. It might might as might be the follow up to Sam's question that I want to ask you before I tear into my next question for you is um, if you go to Mexico, Italica is like the number one brand there, which you just don't see in the United States. Um, and, and like you say, it's a two wheel culture there. They use it as transportation, uh, not just for fun. So what, what are some like, what's the most popular brand over there in Vietnam or in oh, Asia? It's Honda hands down. Got you. In fact, Got you. in in the Vietnamese language, motorcycle basically is translated to Honda. So you know, oh. I mean, it reminds you almost like of the days when you know, well, jet ski, you know, or Kleenex, or yeah. you know, something. These brands become that, and it's in this two wheel market. The whole market is about two point four million units and uh, about 70% of that is Honda. And now obviously the almost all of them are scooters, 125 mm. cc, 50 cc scooters, but uh in the big bike market between uh about 3000 uh 500 cc's or more are greater is sold in in Vietnam about 3000 and and Harley and Triumph is worth about uh 50% of that so uh, i have one of the highest market shares for triumph probably in the world i know out of the distributors the distributor um uh, which I fall into that category, uh, I am the highest at like 14.8% or something like that market share. So I think we kind of touched on it, you know, during your intro, which is, you know, government intervention in margin, but, you know, just based off of tariffs, taxes, so on and so forth. But mm. margins, you and I discussed this, I don't know, a year, a couple of years ago, they're significantly different in Asia, quite a bit higher the Correct. money that you're making yes. off the off the sale of of units why is that well part of it is is when you i am harley davidson in vietnam you know there's no national advertising there's no help from harley to for me to get the home legation process done so you know typically uh we're able to set our price a little bit, uh, a little bit more than you would when the manufacturer just says, "Okay, you get, you know, MSRP is this, and this is all you get." So you got to have to find other ways. So for me, uh, you know, I want people to feel like they got a good deal. You know, you lock yourself into a 
a number and you can't really, you know, it, it's just a lot harder. So they want to win, you know, customers want to win. And so I, I have a little bit of room to, to make things happen. And I use that through, you know, a voucher system. So we give away some clothes or give away some parts in lieu of a discount. And, uh, but uh, primarily, you know, we have a lot more expenses than your average, uh, you know, dealership would have. I have maybe about 30 people in marketing right now. So between the normal, I have a BDC team that uh, uh, is handling all my internet and all my, uh, you know, incoming leads. And then I have a video production team. I have, uh, you know, several people working on the digital side. So all those type of things we have to take care of. And so the manufacturer gives you a little more room for that. Got 30 people on the marketing side. Think about how much we bash people on their expenses. You know, how much you spend on advertising? Yeah, for us, you know, the, the, the real estate is super expensive, but the people aren't very expensive. So I'm able to balance it, you know, that way. You know, if the people were more expensive then we couldn't even have a business. It's like, it's on that teeter, you know, the, the you know, the teeter totter there. So, yeah. uh, I have to do national advertising basically for all of my brands, you know, there, no one else is going to do it for me. So that's sure. part of it. Let's move into some forward looking ideas. Uh, and before we go there, I got to know favorite motorcycle. Uh, and not from a business perspective, not which one makes you the most money, the one that you dreamed about as a kid and you still think that's the greatest motorcycle ever. Honda RC 51. Oh, it's mm. so good. You know, I saw that bike when it, we, we, we got the first one in and, you know, it was 10 grand. And I mean, you know, of course, we couldn't ride it. You know, there it was, you know, I, I the first guy wanted it in the crate and, you know, he didn't want to even let us put it together. And and then uh, about a couple years later, you know, we took one on trade and I got to ride that around for a while. And I mean, I tell you, that thing is so nice. I still love that bike. It's probably my, by far my most favorite motorcycle. That's a good Nikki Hayden edition. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. It's that surprised me as an answer, not because it's not a fantastic motorcycle, but I mean, you lived through the nineties with Suzuki and all the Jixers and how sure. I can't even imagine how many Jixers you sold out of sure. Kennewick, Washington, but yeah, uh, we did a bunch that, that sport bike era. Most people fall in love with that Jixer. So RC 51, I like it. Good choice. Yeah. Hey, David, is, is there uh, you know, here in the States, there's, there's significant buzz around, uh, you know, things like Livewire, the Pan America, you know, it, over here was delivered to dealers and yeah, they're just selling like hotcakes. There's a lot of buzz, uh, especially over the Pan America. What's, what's going on with them? Those two uh, demographics over there. The, the electric vehicle is, is a long ways out. You know, there's nowhere okay. to plug There's nowhere to plug it in other than your house. You know, I mean, when I went back to, to, Tri-Cities, uh, Washington there when I, for Christmas in 90, in 2019, you know, I couldn't believe there's a place to charge that thing everywhere, a car everywhere, every, you know, Safeway has them and, and whatnot. So, you know, here there's absolutely zero and the import duties a hundred percent. So I would be like $80,000 for a live wire that you can't Good plug God. in anywhere. So, so anyways, we're a ways out on that. Uh, Pan America, 
I got to tell you is it, to me, I feel is the best motorcycle Harley's ever made. I mean, the thing wow. is actually very nice. I mean, it, it, it has the, the, the good components it takes to be a really good adventure bike. Um, I think I have 12 pre-sold, uh, so far. And, uh, let me do a quick math here. I'll tell you how much they are. I, we only get them the one, the one way full spec and, uh, nine, it's 900 million, but let me do the math here. Quick conversion, <laughs> carry the one, take off my yeah, sock, count exactly. my toes. They're 40 grand here. 40 grand. Wow. Uh, that That's crazy. You know, the, the thing about the Pan America is um, every Harley dealer that has ridden the thing and Harley's done a good job of kind of getting their dealers on top of that thing and riding it in the desert, so on and so forth. They are just absolutely in love with it. I have a lot of former uh, metric power sports dealers that are now in the Harley space that are like, this is absolutely the real deal. So Super no excited. Doubt. No where doubt. That, you know, I mean, it's, it's a long ways from a Buell Ulysses. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a oh. long ways from that. So, well, you guys, I think, uh, I really do think that Harley was on the front side of the adventure bike craze with that Buell Ulysses, but I, I would agree with you. I had one of those for a period of time. And, <laughs> yeah. I, I, probably far longer than I should have had that bike. But, um, you, you know, you start talking about, I, I don't know, you say 40 grand and I know relative to what you can get it for over here, that seems crazy. But I just look at like what kind of you were mentioning Lamborghinis before. What kind of sports car can you get for 40 grand? What kind of boat can you get for 40 grand? What kind of RV can you get for 40 grand? Mm, right? I still think yeah. bang for the buck. Power sports is just such a wonderful place to play for a lot of reasons. Um, speaking of that, you probably I'm going to guess you probably have some dealers over there in some of those other industries that you keep tabs on interesting community of dealers you guys you guys get together do you benchmark i know there aren't 20 clubs over there but uh, no how do you keep no in touch and challenge each other no not really um there's uh there's nobody that even close to operating stores like i am here so I, I, and you know, there's no friends in the motorcycle business, especially when they're your competitors. Right. But, uh, you know, I keep tabs with, you know, uh, you guys might know Eric Muse from, uh, Auburn, uh, uh, power sports there, Nash, uh, group, Eric and I, uh, grew up in the motorcycle business and, you know, so I, 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 touch base with him a lot. And then I touch base with Tony and I touch base with Steve Jones every once in a while and say, Hey, you know, where, what, you know, what's happening in the real world. So I can, I can judge myself because uh, here, you know, there's nothing. And, and actually Tony and I, we tried to get Harley Davidson here in Asia to, to, let me form, you know, a peer group, a, a 20 group. And, you know, that's one of the things that I was super lucky that um, Michael Shoemate let us do the performance consulting part through Harley Davidson. And that's where I w it really wet my appetite. Getting to sit down with other dealers and just talk about best practices or, as you guys say, you know, new thinking and ideas for growth. I mean, that is gold. I mean, that is so good. And I crave that more than anything, you know, so, so, uh, I still haven't got it handled over here, but I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. Yeah. I felt, I felt horrible for you because for everybody out there listening, you know, David 
uh, you know, is gracefully saying, oh, we tried to put something together. He was literally culling together, uh, you know, Laos and Thailand and Singapore <laughs> and Cambodia. He was trying to get a multinational 20 club going in Asia that we we're going to do. And, you know, it didn't it didn't pan out. I, I don't think Harley would had an appetite for it, but he was to the point, gang, where he was kicking around. And I think you still are kicking around the idea of getting on a plane from Vietnam three times a year so he can get around other dealers because he felt, you know, he saw the value in that. So I, uh, no, I feel no for doubt, you, man. No doubt. I would be, I would have already done it if we didn't have COVID and, and I can't come back right now. So I can't leave. If I leave, I can come back, but I got to pull some serious hoops and spend 21 days in a government camp. And, uh, you know, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, you know, hopefully after this is all said and done, Harley one, two, three, four, five that we have out there, you may want a new uh, guesting member in your de- in your dealer group. Yeah, no doubt. Or dealer visitation, <laughs> a dealer yes, visitation exactly, in yeah. Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah come on come to visit. Vietnam and check out check out my op. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Well, speaking of Harley, where, where do you where do you see the future of Harley going? I mean, that's your at your core with five rooftops there. What put look at you your know, crystal ball I, there? I've I started. As a, you know, working in a Harley dealer in 1999, and of course, um, uh, I was living the the easy life. You know, four grand over MSRP. There's the line. Do you want it or not? You know, and I remember going to a dealer show and John Wyckoff. Remember John Wyckoff? Sure. He, he he got on the you know in one of those. Uh, training sessions and he said you guys better start learning how to sell something because uh it's going to come someday and i remember some old man in the background said we're not going to have to worry about that you know this thing's just going to keep on going and um uh you know obviously everything just continues to change and change more rapidly as time goes on as we get older i mean my god things that took five years take you know five months and three months and three weeks now. So, so the, uh, you know, I think Harley is doing its best to try to get ahead of and be out on the forefront on the electric side. Um, you know, they, they, they need to probably collaborate with a couple of the small, uh, you know, somebody that can produce them a small motorcycle that can get, you know, some younger buyers in, you know, when you look at the U S market, uh, but, um, in Asia, you know, I need a 400 CC Harley Davidson. Okay. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's something that, uh, you know, I can get a guy from a scooter onto a Harley. Uh, but you know, this Pan America, you know, the Bronx or whatever, the street fighter style naked bike that might be coming out in the future and some other things. I think that it's on the right path. I think that these guys have, you know, really the rewire as it's called, I think it, it it's actually going to pan out for them. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to turn the corner and, you know, I think gone are the days where they listened to the guy that said, Oh, it's gotta be air cooled. You can't have liquid cooled. It's not a Harley, you know. I think those days are gone. So so when you say it's gonna pan out for them, just to clarify, are you saying that we're gonna bring in a younger generation or is it just gonna be the core rider continuing to buy their product? No, I, I think that they're gonna they're gonna figure out a way to get in younger buyers. They they have to. 
I mean, that's the whole, the whole thing, right? That's what everybody's trying to do. Everyone's trying to find new riders, you know, find something. But I think, I think Harley's got the, the, the brand, you know, uh, I don't know, the gold of that brand that can bring it out, that can make it happen. I think they, they'll hmm. be the ones that really make it happen. I think they're the ones that care the most, at least. I feel that. Yeah, you know, right or wrong, um, uh, I feel like Levitich was trying to do that. Whether, whether you agree with what he was trying to do or not, you know, he was trying to get some of that smaller CC electric bicycle. He was trying to hit the demographics of the world versus just the United States. And so it's interesting that you say, you know, you need a, a 400cc Harley-Davidson over there that can keep up with the, you know, those Honda transportation models. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting there. And you also hear a lot about that in India where they need lower CCs from some of the major players. So, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably where Harley will get their little bike from through uh, Hero in India. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Yakin does with with uh, with that model. Um, you know, last question before we button this up, uh, David is, you know, you, you said you I, I lost count, but you know, because you're groundbreaking and you're looking to take on more, I think we're around six or eight rooftops right now. Are are you going to keep boiling the ocean and getting after it and getting more, or you, you're going to stop it where you're at? Well, I think that. You know, I, I would like to get one more brand after I, I, I get the other two up and running very well. But, you know, if I can't do a good job and then, then it's not it's not as fun for me. So, you know, it, my biggest challenge is, is finding good, competent people. And most mm-hmm. of my management team are people that have been with me four or five years that I've been able to train. I'm literally a teacher. I'm a teacher of the, you know, how to, how to do things right in the motorcycle business. And they, they don't see it because they don't know any better. They don't know what's possible. You know, they, they, they just don't know. And so for me, I try to paint that picture of, Hey, this is what it, you know, this is what's really good. You know, yes, I'm the best in Vietnam. Our dealerships are the best in Vietnam, but I, that's not good enough for me. I want to be the best in the world. I want to be one of the best in the world. And to get my staff to think that way, to find enough people to do that, you know, I'll keep growing. But I'm, I, I, we won't build dealerships just to build them. You know, it, it's got to be sound business. Uh, you know, it's got to make money. It's got to make sense. Hey, David. Uh... It's always been cool to talk to you, man, because I, I just like people that have that passion and are proactive and really want to make, well, now th- the world better, right? And so I, I love that concept, and I, I really love that you reached out and that we get to keep in contact with each other. Um, thank you so much for uh, spending you know, an hour with us. Uh, I'm sure you've had no a doubt. long day, and it's bedtime um keep in touch and like i said we'll we're always here to help you and 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 do anything we do to do to make you successful so uh no doubt uh, you know i really appreciate you guys and uh you know i'm gonna join a garage <laughs> composites 20 group hopefully maybe 2022 2023 where i can fly back and forth but there's no doubt i see the value in it and uh uh, you guys do an amazing job and i'm very very happy i was invited to be on the premiere podcast thank you gentlemen you keep acquiring rooftops we're going to be coming your way we're going to start uh you know v1 vietnam number one (laughs) 
Yeah, for anybody out there listening to this podcast, if you ever find yourself in Vietnam, uh, knock on David's door oh, and, no and doubt. go check no out doubt. his operation. Yeah, everyone's welcome to come visit when it's possible. You know, it's actually, if, if you have teenage kids, this is a good place to bring them. And they can really see what what the real world's like, and it it be it's a fun trip for you guys to to come and visit. So, right on, man. Well, hey, gang, this has been episode seventy three with David Archibald, the general manager of All the Buddha Group in Vietnam. For Sam Dantzler and David Archibald, I'm Tony Gonzalez. Thanks, guys. Have a great Tuesday. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs>